0: Well, we are good and warmed up here But probably one of these conversations that many of you all probably would have wanted to hear on the RSP cast that probably is going to be on the cutting room floor because it's not quite ready for prime time. but we're ready to go. And, you know, joining me this week, you know, at, at this, you know, RSP campus to Canton is Kyrie Demos, myself, Felix Sharp. Today, we're going to talk about deep sleepers in um, the college ranks, guys that we think could be fun late. Draft picks in the next year or two, um, late round guys. We're going to talk a little bit about quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, maybe we'll call this episode the Trading Places theory with uh, you know, the old movie there where we have uh, you know, Mac Jones and Brock Purdy. If they traded places, would they? You know, as Dan Orlovsky ch- said to Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan disagreed. Would would Mac Jones have the success that Brock Purdy's having? You know, we're going to weigh in on that and other things about NFL quarterbacks. But, uh, you know, again, if you haven't tried a campus to captain League, you know, you definitely need to play both sides. This is a, a fantastic format where you get to have a college fantasy team, a pro fantasy team, all in one basically unit where the college players migrate over to the pros. So you, you're you basically a step ahead. But you get the thrill of Saturdays, you get the thrill of Sundays, and Every other day of the week that the NFL is at. I'm surprised the NFL hasn't made up a new day on the calendar. I think they're about two I think they're about maybe two decades away from creating a new day on the on the calendar to, to try to find a way to sell their products some more. Um, but you know, hopefully I'll be dead by that point as much as I love the NFL. Um but you know, right now I'm glad to be very much alive with, with Felix and Kyrie. So let's start off with deep sleepers. Kyrie, tell me about one of your deep sleepers, and we'll go around the room, you know, um, counterclockwise, at least on what this visual is. So, Kyrie, Felix, and myself will each give ourselves a sleeper, uh deep sleeper, and then go around after that.
1: Well, hello, my good sirs. I'm glad to be joining you both again. Um, you know, so one of the names that I wanted to get into first, and I actually talked a little bit um, to Matt about this guy over the weekend. I'm going to be actually adding him in my upcoming column. And uh, he's a name that, you know, if you guys haven't been paying attention to college football over the last year and a half or so, then, I mean, I think he's a name that you, you're going to really find out about a lot um, soon, sooner rather than later, and that's uh, Muhammad Kamara. You know, I mean, I think he's just, you know, a guy that's shot out of a cannon. Um, You know, one of those guys that I really love seeing play because he's a chess piece. You know, you can move him around. You can have him play DN. You can have him stand up as an outside backer. Um, He's even moved inside a little bit as well. And, you know, I don't know if he'll necessarily be um, big enough to be doing that You know, at the next level. But, you know, just that versatility that he brings. But, I mean, he's an elite pass rusher. I mean, plain and simple. Um, Nine and a half sacks on the season. You know he had three in his last game and it's funny I you know I, I mentioned you know I was talking with Matt about him over the weekend and I was gonna include him in my most recent column but I'm glad I didn't because now I've got this past week you know's tape to review um you know so you're know, being able to see what he was what he's been able to put together on tape um you know a lot of force fumbles a lot of strip sacks things of that nature he really um was a guy that I had my eye on throughout the the Colorado-Colorado uh, State game. Um, and a guy that, you know, I just, right off the bat, he reminds me a lot of, and I think this is going to bring back some, some memories for you guys, is uh, Elvis Dumerville, you know, oh, a little sawed yeah. off, you know, power power edge rusher, but, you know, guy that plays with a lot of speed as well. Um, you know, a little undersized, quote-unquote, but, you know, just wins, you know. So really excited to see what Muhammad, uh Kamara can do you know, throughout his, the rest of his tenure with CSU and, uh, you know, how he finishes it off and uh, makes it to the next level. So, uh, Felix, Matt, you guys take the way from here.
0: Yeah, I love the Elvis Duverbill reference, obviously. I mean, man, what a what a player in terms of pass rush. But anyway, Felix, go for it,
2: man. Uh, let me just say, this type of thing is by far, by far my favorite aspect of game skin because there are 133. FBS teams, we could do this show for like three hours, like a, like morning drive radio, uh, talking about sleepers. So, but I, Mr. Waldman is very professional. It's going to be an hour. So we're going to keep it tight. Okay. You're going to keep it tight. So I'm going to, I'm going to do these in the order in which I'm really excited about them. And let me start here with Florida tight end Arliss Bordingham. Now, if you guys pay attention to real analytics, uh Corey, I think Yates, um uh uh is that's his co- his company. They do a lot of uh film and data scouting. He was one of their top rated freshmen in last year's class. Mm-hmm. And in last year's class, uh one Quinshawn Judkins was also one of their top rated players. So and Quinshawn Judkins was a three star. So when anytime like real analytics has a guy that's stand standing out amongst um Amongst, you know, the ranking services, I kind of pay attention to it. Arliss Sportingham dealt with injuries last year, uh, didn't get on the field. He's been okay this year, but he had a breakout game uh, against, was it Vanderbilt? I think it was Vanderbilt. Nine receptions, or seven receptions for 99 yards. That The production is fine, but he, this is, he's 6'3", 240 pounds and he moves like a running back after the catch. Very, you know, high knees, fluid athlete, will lower his shoulder in the pass could also make can also make you miss laterally and uh I had put his name into the Campus Ken Athletic Comparison tool uh, at the website. One of his top comparisons is tr- Tommy Trimble. Tommy Trimble who tested very very well uh coming in to college and I think he even tested well at the NFL draft. But Regardless of how you test Arlis Boardingham, and I got him at 6'3", three, uh at 6'3", 246. man, he seems like he seems like a guy that if I'm a safety and I'm coming down to tackle him, I would be, you know, you gotta make sure Kyrie knows. Some you got your shoulder pads, but then you got that thing that you can wear under your shoulder pads. It's just gonna be a tough game. That um that little that little uh collar thing that you can wear that's a day where you're going to wear that collar thing underneath your shoulder pads you might have a little some more padding on your elbows and stuff because it's going to be a rough game if you're in safety and you got to come up and tackle this dude and he can move he can really move so I'm excited about all this boarding him I'm actually trying to. Don't tell anybody this, but I'm actually trying to trade to pick him up in a league right now. Like I'm right now, I'm negotiating to try to pick him up on my roster. So hopefully this comes out a little bit later after I execute this trade. But all this boarding him, I hate Billy Napier as a head coach, but he's a player that you should watch uh, down there for. Really nice. Okay, so
0: yeah, I think the first guy, Matt, that... you're Matt, you're mute, you're muted, Matt. I did. I pulled a Gene Bramwell. I'm sorry about that. Okay, so. Probably my first guy I'll bring up is uh, Blake Watson, and and Chad Ryder brought him up to me a couple weeks ago. He said, "Have you watched him yet?" I said, "No." He goes, "Give that a shot when you have time." So he's out of Memphis. He he played at Old Dominion and was certainly at, at like an on all conference lists at one time. He's a graduate transfer from Memphis, five nine, one ninety five, running back. And what I see from him is a very refined player at this stage of the game as a running back he understands both with gap and zone and duo to really understand how to set up blocks he does a good job of pressing creases within about a step of his lineman and really getting tight to them to get his lineman up to the second level or at least being able to um influence the leverage of what shoulder the defender is on and what the shoulder the defender will go to before he finds the cutback or bounce or the, the the cram lane. Um you know on zone plays. He's a good cut blocker. I'm certainly seeing that he does a strong job of being able to get good height. He can cut late. He can do it both on interior um, gap blitzes as well as edge blitzes and he does a nice job of picking up stunts or, or twists when you know when he's in in that position to have to do so the hands you know he's got a little bit of work to do in terms of stand-up work but the but there's a lot of good things with positioning that are there it's just learning not to just lead with your head which a lot of running backs like to do um and overextend but he's you know he's on his way there very good pass receiver someone who really adjusts well to targets behind him and he seems to have enough burst at least to get beyond box um, defenders on perimeter runs. Um, And that's enough for me that I look at him and say, well, if he's got more speed than I expect and he can show a little bit more in terms of breaking tackles in the run game inside, maybe Austin Eckler could be an aspirational comparison. If he is, you know, if maybe the the receiving game talent isn't quite as strong in terms of route running and he's not quite as fast as he needs to be to to get that comparison, maybe Giovanni Bernard is an aspirational comparison for him. Right now, those two guys, Bernard is, is kind of a remote aspirational comparison for him as I'm like grading him, but I like what I'm seeing from enough that that I think that he's a guy you should be thinking about if he gets drafted as, or if he gets signed as a undrafted free agent, because he's probably a late round grade guy right now. Um, but very smart running back who can do a lot of things. Who think of Amari Demarcado, who's a hot name in fantasy football right now because Keontae Ingram's out, and he had you know some decent runs in that offense against the Bengals where he showed a little bit of patience and showed some burst. Um I think that a guy he Watson may not have that level of burst, but I think that maybe he's a little more refined player overall um with his game and he's he's certainly worth keeping an eye on. So Kyrie, who's your second guy? <laughs>
1: So I've got to stick with a New York state uh, player here, even though he's by way of Kissimmee, Florida, I'm going down to 90 here to down to Syracuse over in the dome. And I'm going to highlight Jeremiah Wilson, um, sophomore DB, you know, first of all, I think he's got, you know, good size, um, you know, 5'10", 180. One thing about that size though, is, you know, he seems to be a guy that, you know, really has no regard for his body and, you know, Part of, I, I share that, you know, he's been banged up, actually, last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, he's a guy that I think, you know, he's a really good tackler, um, is able to make plays on the ball in the air. You know, I do think he needs to, you know, prove that he can – you know, play a little bit better in man-to-man coverage. But at the same time, too, I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, a lot of coaches um, at the next level are going to want to be able to work with. You know, he's got a lot of tools. He opened the season up with a pick six against Colgate. He actually had 10 tackles against Purdue um, back in September as well. So, you know, a a lot of tools for this kid. and you know, I like his feistiness, you know, we talked about it, um, you know, a couple weeks back now with, you know, Deion Sanders, right? Like, you know, the fact that he, you know, Jeremiah Wilson is a guy who plays a lot of confidence. He, you know, plays with a lot of um, energy and, you know, brings a lot of that attention, um, you know, in terms of how he uh, carries himself on the field. So I think that's a good thing. But, you know, sometimes you got to back up more than just your uh, talk with your play but again like i said i love his potential um he's got a lot of great tools to work with so really excited to see what what he does once he gets back out there for the orange and hopefully checking them out later this season um i, I think i may be checking in their game at against bc so uh, stay tuned for that
0: sweet felix where you got who's your number two on this list
2: so right in the middle of the pandemic, i was in a I think i was in the middle of a draft actually and I'm watching uh, Oklahoma State play Miami and this true freshman wide receiver can't be five eight you know a hundred and sixty sixty five nothing pounds uh true freshman at the time is just torching miami whatever bowl game that was uh, a guy named Brennan Presley go on to learn that he comes from, a family that is really known in the community. I think he has two sisters that run Division I track. He has a brother that is in this year's freshman class. And I think his, his mother and father both have uh, athletic back, backgrounds too, from Bixby, Oklahoma. If there's anybody uh, listening from Bixby, Oklahoma. Um, and... <laughs> A slot wide receiver, of course. I mean, given his size, a slot wide receiver who was catching the ball over the middle, who was uh, get, was turning it, turning upfield after the catch, was just kind of really explosive. Um, you know, really explosive, and a player that I expected to kind of I- I explode in year two and three under Mike Gundy, and he hasn't. But when you think about the players that have who have had success under Mike Gundy, it's been all really outside boundary guys. James Washington, um, Tylen Wallace, uh, uh, you know, Dez Bryant. Like, those are the type of receivers that Mike Gundy has highlighted. But still, like, we have this guy, he's returning kicks and punts. They'll do jet sweeps to him uh, uh, from the slot. I've seen him, yes, he's 5'8", but I've seen him uh, line up outside and catch catch a fade like this is how he's just an explosive player excuse me and he's always been that way his last year in high school this guy had 95 98 receptions for 1500 yards I mean in high school they play like 12 games so uh, this is an explosive player I think that if he would have played for you know a Lincoln Riley or a Steve Sarkeesian or a even uh, I think uh Kalen DeBoer deserves some of that recognition up in Washington that we would know his name a little bit more tutu atwell had a great success here in louisville you know as a smaller wide receiver i think he's more versatile than than tutu atwell um so he is absolutely one of my favorites he is a senior i think he he has one more year of eligibility should he choose to use it i'll be interested to see but he's always been one of my favorites he has not had the the productive the production ceiling uh that i kind of thought that he would but matt i actually i told this is a player that i told you about a few weeks ago i would love to see you know watch him and see like is this does he have any type of future outside of being just a return man because i think he'll absolutely be a kick return guy a punt return guy at the next level the question is is can he be you know can he be something more but as far as watching college football i mean you talk about sleepers i love I love me some some Brennan some Brennan Presley. So shout out to Bigsby Oklahoma. Love it.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm gonna go with a receiver as well. And this guy probably has a better chance of playing in the CFL than the NFL, but there I've like his game and I wouldn't be shocked at all if he gets an opportunity in the NFL because he is the nephew, or excuse me, not the nephew, the cousin of Darren Sproles, and that's Phoenix Sprouls, Phoenix Sprouls, who was the second leading receiver behind Christian Watson, um, in 2021 and teamed up in the before that for, you know, had 13 starts in 2019 as a sophomore with Trey Lance and made some big time plays with Trey Lance and also played well um with Easton Stick as a freshman so you know he is a he is a f- um 5'11 or 6 foot I try to remember what he is he's 5'11 194 okay and he's playing for the James Madison Dukes right now um, he had a decent showing against virginia seven receptions for 40 yards and a touchdown back early in the in the year it doesn't look like he's had any snaps for the past three games so i need to see whether he's banged up but i haven't seen anything massive about him getting hurt but sproles could get deep on you at north dakota state i saw some real good some really good skills after the catch um and he was a tough receiver from what i could see who could work over the middle so you know phoenix sproles is a guy that i've had my eye on for the really the past few years is he hasn't really done a ton, but sometimes guys like this who show up early and then it doesn't quite work out, um, you know, over the next couple of years, there may be a story behind that needs to be worthwhile. One thing I do know is that he he's a good student, you know, whos he was on um, the honor roll every year um, from 2018 through 2022. And he was in 2021 and 2020, he was also on the conference's commissioner list of academic excellence. So, you know, he graduated from North Dakota State in 2021 with a degree in management communication. Um, So, you know, I don't, I would say if there's a story, it's either because he's been injured or, you know, essentially that there were maybe players that, were more promising that the that the team wanted to put ahead of him and he decided to give it one more year to to see if he could get an opportunity to play ball at the next level. So uh keep an eye out for him.
2: Just like last year. I mean I you you brought up Michael Wilson at towards the end of the year and I'm like, how do I not know? I mean, it just made it made me upset. made me a little upset that I did not know the name Michael Wilson at Stanford because Elijah Higgins was like the guy at Stanford with a lot of recruiting pedigree and the folks know. This is not Phoenix Pros. I'm like, why don't I why don't I know this James Madison? Yeah, but Let's if you look, I'm gonna go. If you look
0: at the box score, there's a good reason right now. But but from what I saw of his game with Trey Lance, I was just surprised that his career hadn't taken off from there. But sometimes guys like that, Willie Parker, Priest Holmes They were guys whose career didn't take off because of reasons of higher recruits coming in. And next thing you know, they ended up playing in the NFL for a while.
1: Reminds me of uh, a little bit of Juju Smith-Schuster even, you know, had a breakout, you know, young career at USC, kind of tapered off a little bit. The steam cooled off and then, you know, goes in the second round and ends up you know, having a really productive uh, start to his career with the Steelers. And, you know, I know he won a title last year. Things haven't been great in New England, but, you know, again, veteran receivers. so.
0: And somebody um, brought up, just before you start, was brought up today at um, CBS on a podcast I was on that um, from Heath Cummings, who was talking, he's a Chiefs fan. He said, I think a lot of people are missing Juju Schuster right now, understanding that in that system it's a lot more than just being strong and fast and athletic. You've got to actually think and be in the right spot and process information quickly as a slot receiver. And a lot of these guys, you know, Patrick Mahomes is putting the ball in the right place, but those receivers aren't there right now. They'd like Juju Smith's back right
1: now. Listen, it's easy. it's easy to, you know, heap on him when he's not putting up video game numbers or he's not putting up Tyree kill numbers. Right. But he was a good fit in that system and that situation. And he was a great piece in a, in a collective and, you know, helped them win a title. So again, you know, it's, it's easy to, to say on, in, in hindsight, right. But, you know, you can't, can't always uh, think in hindsight because that, that's not how life works. Um, you know, so just getting back to the list here, you know, another name that I wanted to mention um, in, in terms of sleepers, you know, going over to, um, you know, I, my my heart is with the Matt conference, of course. You know, having played in the Matt conference briefly, um, you know, uh, uh, and speaking of, you know, NFL lineage here, you know, this guy's big brother actually was a first round pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, and I'm gonna gonna go with quarterback Brett Gabbert, uh, at Miami of Ohio. You know, undersized guy. You know, six foot two ten, but. Uh, you know he can do a little bit of everything, and I like his athleticism too. Um, and you know he's played big in a lot of big moments. You know didn't necessarily have the best performance that he wanted to 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 show. You know against uh, the other Miami, uh, the U. But you know at the same time too, he's just been you know taking care of business in um, Mac play and um, you know twelve touchdowns with three picks this year. You know he he actually rushed for seventy five yards um, and threw for three touchdowns and. Uh, the Red Hawks win over the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats back in September. So, you know, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of skills, and I think he's just a pretty heady player as well. But like I said, I just like that he's got a lot of moxie and really shows up in big moments. And um, when you combine that with some, you know, solid uh, skills as well, um, you never know. Maybe he's a a longtime backup in the NFL. You know, the Colt McCoys of the world, the Gardner Minshews of the world, right? Um, so we'll see what happens with him. But like I said, him having that NFL lineage as well with his brother, you know, being able to work with him and learn from him, I think mm-hmm. has given him an advantage over other guys in the in the college game.
2: Uh, Brett Gabbert, coached by my old head coach, Chuck Martin, uh, there at Grand Valley, who's the head coach at Miami of Ohio now. So uh, I like – well, I think we could do a whole show on just max sleepers because I love um, – and this is not on my list – but uh, is it Trayvon Randolph at Northern Illinois, a guy who was as a redshirt freshman looked like he was going to pop and then tore his ACL? He had a game with like 215 yards receiving as a redshirt freshman. Was that's a team that runs the ball a lot? But when they threw it, they threw it to Trayvon Randolph, and he returned and he returns punts and he takes the jet sweeps and all that stuff. That's a player that I love. Uh, we could do a whole. We could probably do a whole. A whole. J- Jalen Buckley. Speaking of, Jalen Buckley, the running back at Western Michigan, a true freshman who's carrying the load in Kalamazoo uh, there. So, uh, all right, let me let me get back to my because I don't want Mr. Waldman to cut me off. Okay. All right, here we go. Um, this player has not played yet. Or, excuse me, he played his first game last season because the end. And I don't even know if this counts as a sleeper. But the NCAA declared him uh, ineligible to play because he transferred from uh, Kent State to UNC. Kent State, where sean lewis was the head coach and he's now the 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 offensive coordinator with Deion sanders at colorado Devontae Walker, who i i to be honest i think that christian watson is a fair comp for him a long wide receiver who can get vertical he's a little bit older prospect he did not play his uh first year out of uh out of high school but was excellent last season for Kent State, again, can stretch the field, was playing more of a flanker position, transferred to UNC, and it looked like he was going to be Drake May's primary receiver in the boundary, that they were going to stretch the field with him, that it was going to be a lot of fun to watch with him. Now, I want to include him on this list because when I see the mock drafts and that stuff, the early mock drafts coming out, I do not see Devontae Walker's name. And I think that he has a day two potential given – his ability. Um, so someone will go attack the ball, you know, just a I uh, 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 I mean, we don't get a lot of X's anymore. You know, we just actually, this class actually has a few who are built like that, but that's the exception. It seems like we got, we had a lot of draft classes with small guys. Devontae Walker is one of these bigger wide receivers who can run. Uh, you can throw it up to, uh, and you know, that used to be the thing back in the nineties. And so we're getting some throwbacks. He's one of them. He's one of them. So I definitely wanted to include Devontae Walker, especially if you are watching ACC, the ACC uh, conference conference play is coming up right now. So Drake Bay is going to be on some in some primetime games. And and in the nick of time, the NCAA declared Devontez Walker eligible after four or five weeks of the college football season. So I think that we could see his stock go way up this season. You know, playing in those primetime games with one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And quite frankly, there at UNC, they got two really good slot wide receivers who've been used all over the field in Devontae Walker's absence. And uh, Nate McCollum, who's almost one of these guys who's built like a running back and plays like a running back after the catch. And Gavin Blackwell, who's also a slot wide receiver there. Uh, Devontae Walker balances that wide receiver core out. He really does. And so look for Jer- Drake May to look for him early and often he should have caught a touch they ran some deep crossers last week there was nobody within 10 yards of devontes walker and they missed that touchdown the crowd would have gone crazy if he would have caught that ball but not only watch devontes walker um uh on saturdays but i think that he has the potential to hear his name called early uh come next year's draft very nice very nice let's see you know, I'll go back
0: to the running back position at this point because I've watched a good bit of him so far. And the guy that, that stands out for me is a South Alabama product by the name of LaDamian Webb. 5'7", 208 pounds. Um, can run both zone and gap plays. Um, one of the things that I liked about him watching him against UCLA and Western Kentucky is he, does, he is patient. Um, he presses tight to the line. I think that even with wide creases up the middle, he also understands still that he should press another lane so that he can force linebackers to account for that inside rushing lane that he's going to work away from. So he's he's good at also handling interior penetration and making lemons out of lemon or making lemonade out of lemons in the backfield Um, when defenders get there. He's got the footwork you want to look for, the agility, the sharp pressure cuts. The jump cuts are effective enough that he can work inside of linebackers. Um, he has good explosion out of his cuts, which is something you want to look for. And he understands how to drop or has the flexibility and explosion to drop his weight, come to a quick stop, and then uh, attempt at least to redirect um, from them. He, he And what I love is you want to see high knees and feet through creases. You want to be able to get over your lineman's feet when they're planting and blocking um, and not tripping over them. You want to avoid defenders who are shooting low for your feet who are falling to the ground. He does a good job of being able to do that. Um, So, you know, the acceleration, he can beat linebackers to the far side edge and he can turn the corner, almost turn the corner on some safeties, um, which tells you that just enough to be able to execute plays where he's not a game breaker, but he's gonna get into the secondary. And if if the if it's a good box advantage and he gets into the secondary, he is gonna force you to chase and tackle and he can flip the field that way. But the strength to pull through reaches from linebackers and D tackles in the hole, that's there. He can work through reaches to his lower body. So he's gonna run through, you know, extraneous contact for sure. He's got a powerful stiff arm that can put a linebacker to the ground so you know I love that he tracks the ball well so you can see that you know he can he can catch over his shoulder Um, he does a good job with um, getting his arms away from his body to catch he does have some clap attack um, lapses you know but so does everybody in the league at this point it seems like right now it's like somebody needs to remind them but uh you know that's the way it is There's a lot of things to learn, I guess. But, you know, he's patient with, you know, picking up blitzes. I think he gets far enough outside so that he can deliver late cuts with with really good height. Um, He's an effective lead blocker, at least when he helps with double teams. And in the open field, he's going to deliver, at least deliver a strike. Um, You know, and so I like what I've seen from his game thus far. Um, And he did have a foot injury, in the spring of 2022 um, but it wasn't anything that he wasn't able to come back from and it wasn't sustained on the field. He fell down a flight of stairs, um, unfortunately broke his hands and um, he had a foot, in- actually it was a foot injury during camp and then he fell down a flight of stairs and broke his hands and, and it took him about midway through fall camp um, in 2022 to start playing again before he was cleared, but he wasn't hurt on the field for very much when he's been on the field. And, you know, I like low to the ground running backs with that kind of weight, their heart, you know, think of like Travis Henry, you know, who was a bowling ball with spikes. You you could see a little bit of that with a LaDamian Webb. So Kyrie, who do you have at number as your fourth option?
1: My fourth option in terms of sleepers here, I'm going to go back to um, Colorado State, Um, a guy who really, really flashed, um, again, during the CSU Colorado game, and I've been following him ever since, and that's tight and Dallin Holker. Um, You know, he's a guy that he just gets open. He just gets open and makes guys miss in the open field. He moves so well for a guy. You know, it's funny, like, Seeing him, I was like, oh, man, this guy's got to be 6'6", 260. You know, he's 6'5", 235. So, you know, he's definitely a little leaner than I assumed. But he I, – I don't know how to explain this, but he looks bigger than he is, but he plays way smaller than he is as well, if that makes any sense. You know, I, I think he's just a really nimble big fella. You know, he's um, – I mean, in every game this season, he's recorded at least – four receptions and, um, you know, he's been able to record 47 yards or more in each game, but really had some standout games, you know, 109, six for 109 and two touchdowns against Colorado, 11 for 112 and a touchdown against uh, Middle Tennessee, four for 94 and a touchdown against um, UTU. So he he's really shown that he can just get the ball in space and make plays. Um, he's had a reception of at least eighteen. Yards or, or, or longer um, in each game this season. So you know, he's a downfield threat. Um, he, he's got pretty secure hands as well. He reminds me a lot of Jeremy Shockey, uh, you know, that big blocky body, but, you know, still is athletic enough to really get um, himself open in a lot of different ways. So really excited to see what he can do, um, you know, as the season goes along. And I think he's going to be a name that once the, the draft process starts coming along, people are going to really start taking note of him. He was a, He's a BYU transfer, and he actually played with, you know, two of the big-name QBs at BYU over the last couple of years with Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall. So um, I think he's going to be, you know, a guy that, you know, once he gets to the NFL level, I mean, it's just going to be about the right fit because if he gets it to the right offense, I think he's going to be a real diamond in the rough um, for who wh- whatever quarterback is throwing him the rock.
2: A player that uh, Jim Nagy has already mentioned is coming to the senior. Well, he didn't say he's coming to the Senior Bowl, but he's highlighted him, and so you would assume that he's going to get a Senior Bowl invite. That that's you know probably a good indication for the draft capital they expect him to have. So, yeah, Dallin Holker. Is it my <laughs> turn? I'm saving the best two for last. And, and Matt, <laughs> this is a guy. Uh, we just had a. We just did our show. We talked about wide receivers. Um, This is a guy that I can actually see it with. And, Matt, I would love for you to watch this guy and tell me what you think about him. But Kevin Casey Concepcion from NC State. Now, Matt, your friend Sigmund Bloom has kind of coined the term drumbeat. This is a guy that through the spring, and even in the spring game, the drumbeat was there for him. Uh, And then it's carried on into the season. So he is... I, didn't, I don't know if I said it. He's a wide receiver, 5'11", 187. <coughs> just had a big game against Marshall, eight receptions for 102 yards. He also had a big game against West Virginia for six receptions for 116 yards. He is a true freshman. He's a true freshman. He is the leading receiver on this team for the true freshman. But that's not really the thing to get excited about. Um, This guy understands how to make – defensive backs move the wrong way and that's always exciting to me you know uh uh i've seen him twice now being in the slot it could be zero coverage or somewhere where a nickel or a a a, uh safety is on him and off coverage and he's he's got an in-breaking route and i've seen him twice make that safety turn the wrong direction um i've seen him run it's not necessarily a hitch and go but he was running a real a wheel route And he did like a stutter right in the middle of the route to bring his defender, make his defender come down and just ran right past him. I mean, when you're doing stuff like that as a fresh out of high school, I really, I mean, I really take note of it. Now, I don't know. He's not a guy with who had any, he's just a three-star guy. You know, this is not a four-star, five-star guy. And he's going to a school that doesn't have a logo. But you know who else did something like this? Zay Flowers, Zay Flowers at Boston College. You look at his freshman year like hmm, they they see, Duke seems to have a hard time catching this guy, and you can hear yakety sacks in the background as they uh, as they try to chase him around. You know, Kevin Casey Concepcion is making they're gonna they're gonna have to put a corner in his face because he's making people look silly when you play off coverage against him. Um, the, and he is playing predominantly the slot. Like he, you know, he's he's probably had three hundred and fifty snaps. I would say. You know, three three hundred and twenty five of them have been from the slot, but he's a true freshman, and again, he 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 understands how to to step in a way that makes defenders turn the wrong way, and uh, you know, if you're doing this as right out of high school, like I don't know, I think he's going to get better um, uh, from from here on out. So, Kevin Casey's Concepcion, if you're watching NC State. Watch out for number ten. I think he's number ten. Watch out for number. Yes, he's number ten. Watch out for number ten. All right. Well, I I promise that I
0: probably won't do any more running backs after this one. But again, this guy he's he's leading college football in rushing yards right now out of Troy, and that's Kamani Vidal. Um, and when you watch his game, he's you know he's in that five eight range. Um, 218 pounds listed he might not be that heavy but you know he's probably at least 210 which ain't bad at 5'8 so let's say 5'8 215 um he he looks pretty well built he can definitely break um through tackles the quickness the stop start quickness that he has is impressive and you can see the the ability to reaccelerate in his game and he can catch the football I mean he's averaging 14.9 yards a catch too. So you know that they're sending him on some routes where he's either in open space and getting yards after the catch a fair bit, but also you're seeing um, you know opportunities for him to you know win further downfield. Um you, you know looking at he's 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 able to handle a, a pretty good workload, you know, and Western Kentucky usually has a pretty good um, rushing defense. He put, 20, he put up 5.1 yards per carry on, you know, 27 rushes, 137 yards, you know, with two touchdowns against them. He had a good week against Kansas State, who's playing good football these days, even though they killed the, you know, Troy. He still managed to get 83 yards against them. Um, and from watching those two games, you know, I came away impressed with his ability to press tight to be able to find, to be able to cut efficiently. Sometimes he veers a little wider than what I'd like to see him do with certain types of creases. But I think of someone like Jarek McKinnon and how springy and explosive of an athlete he was. I don't think Vidal has that speed, but I think he has the initial explosion that might put him in that tier. And you could see him having a role with the team, um, you know, growing into a role with the team as he becomes a little bit more refined as a runner.
2: This, this is what, so Kamani Vidal has been a player that we have been starting on the college fantasy side because he scored. He's very productive and he gets a lot of points. This is one area, Matt, why we need you in this space because the traditional advice had been for uh, for guys who are you know these G five guys who get a lot of production sometimes we don't know how to separate like Lou Nichols from somebody like Kamani Vidal, or, I mean, in season, uh, Sky Moore was, was one. Now Sky Moore hasn't turned out to be anything in the NFL yet, but he was a guy who was a wide receiver one or wide receiver two in college fantasy. So when those guys start to approach their, the end of their eligibility, we have been trading them. If we can get some indication. That these guys who have been production, that they productive, that they might also have NFL futures. Man, you know th- those 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 people who ha- who have that insight are going to be well ahead of others because again, you know, uh, I'll, uh, you know Dwayne McBride from last year. Now, Matt, I know you didn't like Dwayne McBride, but he's another example, like a guy who was scoring a lot of points on the college side, but okay, he's coming to the end of his eligibility trade them away so you can get your supplemental freshman draft picks. If we can identify these guys who are productive G five guys who are also Blaine Gabbert, Brett Gabbert, another example, you know, that we could also get some potential NFL play from them. That's, that's like the next step in, in understanding C2C league. So. All right. Number four,
0: what we, what do we have Kyrie?
1: I think this is, five. is this is five. This is five.
0: It is five. I can't keep track.
1: It's all good. I can't it's all count.
0: Good. That's why. I, a lot
1: of great names. That's why I'm not. Names.
0: That's why I was never a quarterback. There we go.
1: <laughs> listen, listen. As long as you know how to, to follow the, the, the lead at that point, it's all good. I so Five downs for me. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So the, the next guy on my list is um, I'm going to be going over to the SEC. Now, I know, obviously, SEC schools aren't necessarily – um, you know, filled with a bunch of, you know, quote unquote sleepers, right? But I got, I think that's kind of gone under the radar just because of his path. Um, and I talked a little bit about him in one of my columns a few weeks back, but um, Isaac Ukwa from, uh, or Ukwu from Ole Miss, you know, defensive end. So you know, he's a uh, James Madison transfer, you know, was an All American at James Madison, uh, seven and a half sacks last year. But, you know, since he's gone to the Rebels, you know, he's really just, made his way um nicely and you know yes he's listed as a defensive end but again you know similar to how i mentioned uh Muhammad Kamara you know uku is a is a chess piece as well you know he's a guy that um they've lined him up at nose tackle they've lined him up at DN. end they've lined him up at stand up edge rusher as well and you know he's had three sacks in 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 uh, in the team's first uh six games so you know he's been productive and I think he's a guy that, yes, like, his stats are good, yes, but I think his tape is even better than his stats Um, and really is just a disruptor. You know, they ask about, you know, what type of, like, what, you know, so-and-so is and what a player could be or what a prospect is, right? I I just think he's a football player. You know, you put him out there, whatever you need him in terms of um, situational football, however you need him to attack, I think he can really do that. Um, You know, he's... Gonna just wreak havoc, I think, at the next level in terms of being a guy that can rotate in, um, uh, as a maybe as a pass rush specialist, maybe move him inside on some, um, on, uh, first downs and things like that, have him stand up as well. So, you know, Ukwu, again, I'm a big fan of chess pieces. Um, and he seems to be, you know, one of the, the engines of Ole Miss's off, or defenses. And, um, you know, at this point in time, you know, he's gonna be, you know, a name to keep an eye out for. Um, especially as as well as the rebels are playing as they get into the the meat of their uh, SEC schedule.
2: All right, Kyrie saved his best for last. I'm saving my best for last. And um, the the player is Thomas Castellanos at Boston College. Now for a little background, when we were doing the fresh or excuse me, the freshman and supplemental draft guide last year, you know, I, I love that process because I basically once we get to a certain point, there is just a name and I don't know I know nothing about them and I get to turn on their tape and and learn about them. Well, this guy really stood out to me from Ware County, Georgia. Uh, from Ware County, Georgia, he played with um, uh, his backfield mate was he's the starting running back at Iowa State now. I'm uh uh Cartavius Norton. Cartavius Norton was his backfield mate at, at at Ware County. Um how do I describe this player? Uh that thing that you see from Tony Romo, Johnny Manziel, Russell Wilson where they are just so fun off script. Uh and and, and you know, in this backyard style. Thomas Castellanos takes that to another level now he started his he went to ufc where gus malzahn with gus malzahn uh his his freshman year gus malzahn has had great success with dual threat quarterbacks cam he won a national championship with cam newton um i was so infatuated with thomas castellanos that uh, i asked ufc for an interview with them and i got the response to saying why would you want to talk to our third string quarterback well, Mr. Athletic Communications person who said that. He's now the starting quarterback at Boston College. And, and I mean, all of those skills, you kind of see it. He is a great rusher. Now, Matt said, you know, these are guys who I don't know. It's way too early to tell if Thomas Castellanos is a an NFL player. You know, he was a working pro- – this is a guy, first of all, the only offer that he got to be a quarterback was at – ucf everybody else wanted him to play wide receiver or defensive back he only got one offer to play quarterback and that was at ucf he's now playing quarterback at boston college and uh, and um took over for an upperclassman, redshirt freshman on the season he has 500 yards rushing already what we're five five games into the season he has seven touchdowns rushing he has uh a 1,100 yards passing, five touchdowns, five interceptions, only completing um, uh, 57% of his passes. A lot of that, you know, it's not super complicated stuff passing. But again, you know, as a rusher, he is the best athlete on the field. When you have an elite trait or skill and he does, there's the potential to you to play play beyond, you know, Saturdays. Now, that is not the reason why I'm bringing him here. He's just – he's a damn fun watch, and he's a super young player who's going to develop. Um, let's see, 5'11", 196, so a little bit thicker, a little bit thicker, good, you know, BMI. But, I mean, just, again, just an exciting player who's kind of doing everything on his own, just his play style lends itself to that. I don't know how well Boston College is going to be able to recruit around him, even though Boston College, they, they just, I mean, they just had uh, Zay Flowers there uh, 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 on the team. But if you are watching college football and you know you get to uh New Year's Eve and you're hanging out with the family and you're bored and you're you flipping on a bowl game, do not switch away from the Boston College game. Thomas Castellanos is one of the most dynamic players in college football. And if he can develop as a passer, if he can develop as a passer, we've got something we're gonna be working with something. But he is just one of the most dynamic players in in college football this year. Beat, I think, Navy or Army. He played one of the service academies this weekend. They didn't even really throw the ball. He ran for over 150 yards. Um, He has thrown the ball, you know, in other games, but they just didn't need him to throw the ball to beat the service academy that he just played. So um, watch Thomas Castellanos, one of my favorite players uh, in college football, and he has three years of eligibility after this year. Love it. Love it. I'm going to have to definitely check him out. So
0: I'm gonna finish with a wide receiver who started his career at Arizona. He was signed by Jed Fish in 2021. And and that's uh, still in the state of Massachusetts. UMass' is Anthony Simpson. Anthony Simpson, 5'11". Depends on where you see him listed. One source of mine says 185. You look in the media, it says 205. Um, He averaged 19 yards on 18 kick returns when he was at Arizona. So that's not bad. Not bad. Um, You know, he certainly was a solid special teams player. Didn't get a lot of time in the slot at Arizona. But when he did, he made big plays. He could run after the catch. At UMass, on the other hand, well, he's the... Is he the leading receiver in yardage? No, but he's... What is he? He's number nine in the NCAA right now in receiving yards. Um, And when you watch him, he's a junior, might still, you know, might play another year. But I like what I've seen over the middle with him. He understands how to extend his hands for the ball, he's willing to do it in tight windows. Um, He's not afraid of being able to um, exploit tight windows in zone and be able to track the ball the way he needs to. I've seen him track the ball where on deep routes where it's not directly over the head where that's one of the most difficult tracking jobs but he can track it where the ball's it looks like it's crossing from one shoulder to the other and I know Felix you you've seen what that you know what that's like to be like looking here and then have to switch shoulders or just know that the ball's coming from that trajectory and be able to you know go to that other shoulder on the move he does that very smooth He can take contact. He breaks some tackles reasonably well. He fights for yardage, but he's just fast. You know, he has good acceleration. He's got good speed. Um, Big play slot receiver type. Um, I like those types of guys. I like seeing what what you can get out of him. So is he 5'11", 180? Or is he closer to that 200-pound mark that, that he's being listed at? Either way, I think he can make a team on special teams um, and then grow his way into a bigger role. But, you know, what he's doing at UMass is an indication of, you know, what maybe teams were, you know, what the Pac-10 was expecting from him. And it just didn't happen. So, you know, now that we're, uh, you know, we're through our groups there, we're going to round out the show talking about quarterbacks and i think the big question that came up um you know this week when you watch Brock Purdy and how well he's playing and then you see Mac Jones getting benched and we and everybody's talked about this in this industry a lot is that you know the 49ers probably wanted Mac Jones it was talked about pre-draft that Mac Jones was going to be the pick and then they shocked everyone and picked you know Trey Lance and then you look at the, the past behavior of the Shanahan clan, which is, you know, daddy Shanahan, not wanting Robert Griffin, the third, but insisting on getting a second quarterback in Kirk cousins, you, you know, you got to wonder if Kyle Shanahan followed suit with dad and said, you know, I wanted a quarterback who fits what my system does best. John Lynch didn't understand that or the scouts didn't understand that. They thought we're giving you a West coast quarterback at North Dakota state and Trey Lance. Why are you unhappy with that idea? Um, you know, and maybe Kyle couldn't articulate, which I doubt very seriously that Kyle Shanahan couldn't articulate what exactly he wanted. I would have to say maybe John Lynch was a little thick headed in terms of maybe understanding what Kyle Shanahan wanted. Um, or just thought he knew better, um, and Shanahan, then you know, growing up in the, you know under the wing of his pops, who was the master at backdooring um, people and to get into getting to what what he wants, and I mean that probably in both the most positive and negative dysfunctional senses that you can go either way. If I said, well, get me a second quarterback, I'll get my way one way or the other. If Lance doesn't work out, maybe I'll have somebody. You know, Maybe at worst, I have somebody who can do well. I don't think they anticipated Brock Purdy was going to play as well as he did, though. But on the other hand, Mac Jones started off well until Bill Belichick decided that let's get a defensive coordinator um, to be my offensive coordinator in year two, a pivotal year for, their, uh, for, for Mac Jones. And now here he is getting benched. The Patriots, as Dan Orlowski brought up, I thought was a good point. When was the last time Bill Belichick and company have selected a, an impactful offensive skill player? My bet was Robert Edwards way back in the day, back in the early 2000s. Um, that might have been the last impactful skill player that they actually drafted beyond Tom Brady. Um, so looking at this, you know Orlovsky and, and Rex Ryan had a debate on air about if you took Mac Jones and put him in Kyle Shanahan's offense, would he be brock purdy would he or is as rex giant said rex ryan said that's an insult to what brock purdy's done and you're diminishing what you know what skills he's capable of with that where do you guys stand on that idea and anything else that you think jumps off with the situation that listeners should uh should keep in mind Kyrie, why don't you start with it with this
1: yeah, I, it's a it's a great, great, great question, you know, and I we actually, uh, one of the fantasy football leagues I'm in, um, we were talking about, you know, just the Niners overall and the situation that they've got over there and, you know, obviously, first and foremost, Purdy could not have asked to come into a better situation, right? You got arguably the best running back in the game, arguably the best tight end in the game best left tackle in the game, you know, best play caller, arguably, in the league. Um, You know, with a great offensive line overall, and obviously we know how great. You're on mute. Now, what I will say is, you know, I, I think that, you know, Purdy's really just taking advantage of what's been around him, though. You know, he's, you know, I think one thing that really is lost, and, this is this is probably a big media thing. This is probably, you know, a, a, an NF, NFL football thing, right? Brock Purdy had so much experience while at Iowa State, and let's be honest, him, Brees Hall, you know, a lot of those guys that were there during that era, um, you know, under Matt Campbell, you know, really helped bring bring a, a, a facelift to that um, to that program. You know, I think a program that historically had been you know, the little brother to Iowa, um, you know, an afterthought in the Big 12, right? So, Brock Brock Purdy, yes, in terms of stature, yes, in terms of physical gifts, quote-unquote, he might not.
0: You're fading out. Uh, We're still not hearing you at this point. But, yeah, we'll have Kyrie continue with that in a moment here with it. But, Felix... Um. Until just so Kyrie gets a chance to get his audio clear, it, it, you mind taking you know picking up what, yeah. what are your
2: thoughts on that? And anytime I'm talking about the NFL, I feel like an outsider looking in. So take this with a grain of salt. But I did listen to an interview with Andrew Hawkins, who uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns, and the perception has been that Kyle Shan Kyle Shanahan can make a bad quarterback look good a good quarterback look great a good a great quarterback be excellent as long as they play you know within his system and scheme and so I think the call of the question was what would Mac Jones look like if he was in Kyle Shanahan's offense well I mean to the extent that he would follow the very I understand that Kyle Shanahan is Kyle Shanahan is very strict with what he wants the quarterback to do to be an extension of himself if but Mac Jones would do that I think that he would probably look as good or better than Kyle Purdy. Now, that's my perception from the outside looking in. Now, uh, uh, rather than, you know, it's not just the offensive coordinator, Um, San Francisco's team is also much better offensively than New England's. I mean, you look at what they can do on both of their lines. They could probably win games without throwing the ball. I mean, with, with Trent Williams and those guys on the offensive line, and I, I mean, I forgot when Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. So, um, I think it's—I I don't know what the comment was, or what Rex Ryan's comment was. He just said, just,
0: "Yeah." His comment was essentially, "I think you're in—you're—you're you're downplaying the the skills of Brock Purdy to say that Mac Jones could come into Kyle Shanahan's offense and perform just as well."
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I might I, disagree, I I don't I disagree with that. I think the skill that Brock Purdy is showing is he can follow the instructions that are being given. He he can he can make the reads. He can do uh, uh, what he's been coached to do. Um, the and again, this is the this is you know from the outside looking in. But the perception is is that a, a lot of it is spoon fed. To, to the quarterback in Kyle Shanahan system. So to the extent Matt Jones could, uh, for lack of a better term, swallow his pride and follow those same instructions as the, with the quarterbacks he's seen have success in Kyle Shanahan's system, then he would be fine. If he is someone who wants to make it all about himself and how good he is, he'd probably struggle in that system. But not only would he probably struggle, Kyle Shanahan would probably never start. Him. So, um, yeah, that's, that's that's my perception. But again, but I feel like an outsider and talk about the NFL.
0: That's all right. That's all right. Kyrie, how are you doing on on your end? Let's test you out
1: here. Can you guys hear me now? Absolutely. Sound great. Awesome. Perfect. Okay, so great points there, Felix. And, you know, I really think, um, you know, just talking about the situation, right, like to me, it, it's not, not fair to Mac Jones to even um, – to even – ridicule him and, and, you know, point the finger at him. I mean, just think about New England's offense has been a mess since his sophomore season. Right. I mean, in 2021, you know, and I, I can speak to this cause I was working for the bills at the time, you know, seeing what he did with Josh McDaniels, who is obviously, you know, things might not be working out for him as a head coach, but you know, his resume as a offensive coordinator is, you know, pretty top tier. So, you know, to see what he was able to do with him during his rookie year, I mean, it was competent. You know, he had a lot of flashes. Was he Tom Brady? No, but he won a lot of games, got his team to the playoffs, and, you know, showed a lot of promise as a rookie, right? And that's just all been down the drain. And, yes, you can point the finger at maybe he's taking some chances. You know, maybe he's shown that he has an inability to, you know, create um, off script with his legs and things of that nature. But, I mean, name a, could anybody name me a receiver that plays for the New England Patriots? Please. I mean... Those guys are, you know, working. I like Demario
2: Douglas, the Liberty wide receiver, Demario Douglas. I, li- I like him. I didn't even realize Devontae Parker was still in the NFL, to be honest, when I saw him on Sunday. That's what I'm
1: that's what I mean though. You know, I mean they're they've got guys that, you know, legitimately could be working at your local grocery store. And that's no offense to anybody working at a grocery store. But what I mean is just, you know, the fact that, you know, a young quarterback who you expect to grow and develop, right, you're not nurturing him whatsoever, right? You're you're really putting him in positions to fail, which he has done, right? And I think they've broken, you know, like I know in in um I'm a big, you know, movie and cinema and um, you know, television fan, you know, they talk about breaking the fourth wall, right? You know, they've broken the wall of, you know, that level of confidence and that trust tree, right, with um with Mac Jones by taking him out and putting Bailey Zappi in, right? Because, again, yes, Mac Jones has struggled. Yes, you know, things have not looked great. But at the same time, too, to give up hope on him like that for Bailey Zappi, who, I mean, definitely think he's a great uh, backup quarterback. I think he's going to be a serviceable guy for years to come. But he's not the future. He's not the answer, right? So are you just shaking things up to shake them up? Are you trying to send Mac a message? I'm really not sure. So, I mean, it, it's hard for me to to really ridicule and point the finger at Mac Jones. Um, I do think he would put up very similar numbers and and play um, on a similar level as Brock Purdy. Because you know, in terms of physical traits, I do think you know he has similar skills, if not better. Um, maybe Brock Purdy's a slightly better athlete, but you know, you're you're you're, you're grasping at straws at that point. So um, I I really do think that you know it's not fair to to point the finger at Mac, but Again, Brock Purdy he's looked phenomenal, and I don't want to take any credit away from him. But when you get to operate in that situation, of course you're going to look like that. You know, it's so if Kyrie, you're competent.
2: Kyrie, who would you? I mean, would you? Who would you have as your offensive coordinator if you had to choose between Kyle Shanahan and Matt Patricia? Who would you? Who
1: would you choose? Well, I will say this: I I actually know um, Matt Patricia's nephew very well. So shout out to Anthony Ronaldo. Um, but I will go with the guy who has uh, um, a father who is probably a Hall of Fame coach and a guy who's gotten to a couple Super Bowls on his own. So I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan I
2: role. I want to talk about this for a second. I, and Matt, I don't know if we're going long, but how arrogant is it to deploy Matt Patricia as your offensive coordinator when his – the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the entire time that he was with Belichick. He was the, he was on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, what, maybe he saw something in practice, but I don't have any objective indicators to tell me that Matt Patricia would have been, deserved that position as offensive coordinator. That is that. And I'm a lions fan. So this is a little bit bitter because I never liked Matt Patricia coming to uh, coming to Detroit. That is, insane and in, in my opinion extremely arrogant to think that you can just plop somebody in but if you think about it that's how B- bill belichick's coaches have been they think that they can draft guys who aren't great athletes but that fit their system and they can just plug them in hello uh oh lions fans remember these guys um who was the linebackers that we took out in the second round out of hawaii who, like nobody had being taken in the second round. I can't remember his name. Defensive linemen, defensive ends who were too big, you know, to rush the edge, but not big enough to play the middle. Like that's the, they, they those coaches have, have been like, Te, Tez, uh, Te, I forgot Tez, who was the cornerback that we drafted a cornerback who ran like a four, seven I mean, they, they, it seemed like they had always, well, we can plug them in and they'll play our system. Like it's, They've always been extremely arrogant, and you just see Bill Belichick you know, I, doing the same thing with his coaching staff.
0: I almost think it's obtuse what they're doing because when you've heard they've been great at picking slot receivers, that's basically it. They, they seem to understand picking slot receivers, but if you look at the wide receivers to Kyrie's point, um, essentially since Bill Belichick took over and the players that he's drafted, um, none of them have worked out, not one. I've often joked, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the NFL I because I wouldn't want to start at the money that they're paying to, to do what their job is, and I like my job and what I've built in my career. Um, but if someone said to me, you have an opportunity to make what you're making right now, and you could pick a team and just have low-hanging fruit and help that team get better in one area, top five on my list would be New England's wide receiver scouting. Like if someone said to me, you know, we'd pay you that or we'd give you the opportunity to help them learn how to scout wide receivers. And I that sounds arrogant to say that about a team that's had such a great track record, but conf, as someone who's been doing this for 18 years and I feel like I've gotten better, I'm a lot better at it in the past five, um, you know, uh, or I've had a really good jump, you know, in terms of figuring out what I would be looking for and feeling like I could teach that. That would be it. Would be New England and wide receivers, especially perimeter options and what you should be looking for with those guys. And and it's and it's crazy to me that I feel that confident that I could do that because that tells you how how low hanging fruit it really is in New England, that that's happening. And when you listen to how they've scouted, what happens is that they do have their scouts. There's a lot of teaching about football and on a certain level, but then at the end of the day, they have their coaches do some scouting like in January, February, and they get together and kind of cobble together a list. So you're not really teaching the scouts there's, it looks to me there's not a communication level between scouts and players or scouts and um, coaches about what exactly they're looking for. They just say, all right, the scouts have done their work. They've collected data because a lot of scouts are data collectors nowadays as opposed to actually film evaluators. And in this case, that's what's happening here. Is they're saying, well, we'll get our crack team on it when they have time. And then they're going to evaluate and not really share that knowledge with what they want with their evaluators. If they had... If they actually spent January and February, actually, that's not true. If they actually spent March and April doing some meetings with scouts after they've done all their work with coaches and saying, let's put together some ideas of what we look for in these players and and put together a system of how to grade it and what to do, they might not need to have to work their guys overtime to the level that they need them to or because they're probably not putting in the level of work that a scout would put in um, over the course of time to do that. So that's one thing. Second thing is, is, you know, to your point about lack of, you know, because that's the lack of support right there. You're not growing with anybody. Mac Jones, like you said, Kyrie, looked good year one. How you put in, and to Felix's point, how you put in, uh, you know, Matt Patricia in year two, which is the most pivotal year. Because year one with a quarterback, when I evaluate quarterbacks in the NFL – I'm looking games basically one through six or seven to see that the player looks like he did from his college tape. Is he, is he making similar decisions good or bad? Is he doing what he did on college tape? Does he look that way? Because most defenses are playing them straight up, you know, based on what their scheme is at that point. After that, it takes usually four to six weeks for college, for NFL scouts. It's not, for NFL scouts, but for coaches to start using what the scouts have advanced scouted about those players. Cause those, they take the first four to six weeks and say, okay, let's get a preliminary book on this rookie. Oh, it looks like he doesn't read leverage. Well, that's over the top of the route. It looks like that he gets flustered with cat blitzes. It looks like that when you can rush him, get high pressure, high off the edges in the pocket, he doesn't comfortably climb hit him a few times and he seems to self-destruct and get into quicksand and so they start to formulate a book from basically weeks seven through probably the, the seventh game through i would say maybe the 15th or 16th or 18th game of their starts and start to incrementally put things into their game plans that they they start seeing and other teams start taking from what they see from these other teams and you get this book on the guy and they either start to regress after everyone's so, all the, the big media's like, oh, he looks great. He, he's acclimated great. He's a star. And then the Baker Mayfield, Drew Locke, Mitchell Trubisky effect happens and suddenly they're regressing when really what's happening is they're getting tested finally. Um, and now they don't look quite as good and they have to grow. Can they grow beyond that? And that's where game weeks like 15 to, starts 15 to 30 happen. Can they grow beyond their college game? So why after what your first season of starts where now the teams have a book on Mac Jones, why on earth would you put him with an inexperienced offensive coordinator during the most pivotal stage of growth? To me, that's, the biggest killer to Brock Purdy's confidence. Not that he's getting benched now, because where you Brock Purdy am uh, not Brock Purdy, where Mac Jones lost the trust of this team of of his coaching staff is when they didn't give him a a coach that he should have to 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 basically scheme to his advantage. And I think that getting benched is more the icing on the cake with this because if you you can bench a guy properly, even in today's NFL, you can take a guy off and say, "Man, Mac, you're you're not seeing the field right. We're gonna put Bailey in, give him a shot, give him some time to do. But if we get close, we're gonna put you back in. You're our guy." Talk about that a lot. Marty Schottenheimer did that with Drew Brees, and Drew Brees described that on an NFL um, special and credited Schottenheimer for developing him. That it was. Schottenheimer, who made him the quarterback he is because that happened repeatedly and he had the confidence to understand that he's just not seeing the field well. It's not a, we don't think you're good enough. We just think you need to grow and you need some time away. So Mac Jones, to me, absolutely was a better pocket manager than Brock Purdy, who I thought was the best pocket manager of his class. Mac Jones was a little better. Brock Purdy and him had similar arms. Purdy was maybe slightly better with his arm. Um, a little better as a mover. Both were tough. Both were aggressive downfield. Um, you know, Purdy to me, I had a higher grade than him than, say, like Zach Wilson um coming out. And I got to, you know, I I, I know that he saw the field at a level that you could see how there was a path to him to becoming a system starter and maybe a journeyman starter. And now, because he's with the right team, maybe he's a long-term starter in the perfect system. Mac Jones would have followed that. easily would have followed that. But when you you basically it's like take I, I hate to equate them to children, but if you're if you're raising if you're developing a quarterback, it's and you're and say it's like raising a child, if you stuck your child, in a school with someone who was not only not a good teacher, but also put you in situations where you got punished in a way that was probably more towards abuse. Um, you know, are you? is your kid gonna trust you when they keep sending you back week after week and you've told them about this? Or you knew ahead of time that this probably wasn't a good place to go because you had experience with what you could see coming? you're probably going to lose the trust of the main people. So Bill Belichick, great coach in a lot of ways schematically, um, but I don't know if he's ever really um, drafted great talent. I think he stumbled on great talent um, or acquired great talent but or been able to get projects that he developed. But he's, you know, the idea that, this was an example this team is an example of scouting and development that's probably his weakest point you could probably see that in cleveland too when he was there um so you know he it's just one of those situations that when we look at this down the line yeah mac jones and brock purdy very close together and it's just different systems and i'll end my part on, on this is that you know, in 2016, I wrote an article called, Can He Make Music? And it was because I had Jared Goff, my number one quarterback in that class. I had Dak Prescott, probably number nine. And I also wrote a, an article later because I learned a lot from the Dak Prescott scouting report that I did. And I've had quarterback coach, s- coaches, scouts say to me, you didn't miss on Dak Prescott. Nobody thought that he was that good. But to me, that's that was wrong. That That thought is wrong. Like to me, it was like, yeah, I was wrong. Uh, I, I look back at my process and it wasn't so much that it, where I saw opportunities where I could improve my process and it's, and it's dramatically helped me uncover other players who I would not have um, been as high on, like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are perfect examples of players that I learned from Dak Prescott on how I graded and developed the system. But the point being is that the article I wrote, you know, was like people were like, how do you feel about these two players now? You know, Jared Goff is, you know, people are saying he's the third string quarterback in Jeff Fisher's offense and he doesn't, he's not ready. And everybody's, there's consternation about that. And Dak Prescott's looking like a world beater in year one with the Cowboys. And the point is fit. We're looking back eight years later, here we are, Mac Jones and, and Brock Purdy, you, you know, and, and then if you look back on it, everyone's criticizing Dak Prescott with an offensive coordinator who's known to be kind of up and down at best with what he's done in his career and Mike McCarthy. And you've got Ben Johnson, who's considered one of the better offensive coordinators. And and for a quarterback in Jared Goff, who survived the Sean McVay you're, you know, narcissistic offense. I mean, that's the best way I would call a West Coast offense, not trying to be um, mean to Sean McVay so much, but it's an extension of himself. And that's how West Coast offensive coaches often are, is it's an extension of themselves. That's a very narcissistic approach. It can be worthwhile and can work out. But they he made Jared Goff seem like he was howdy-doody and there were strings hanging from him. And that he couldn't do anything unless he was told exactly what to do. That's how the media characterized him. He ends up in Dan Campbell's offense. And Dan Campbell a year later is like, yeah, we didn't know exactly what we were getting. But you know, we threw stuff at him expecting that if he crumbled, we'll just draft somebody else. And he just kept he just kept taking whatever we threw at him and we made him sink or swim and he swam. You know? We and Dan Campbell, like, you know, Mike Vrabel. They're tough guys. They're football players, who who expect their players to be football players. And if Jared Goff survived that, that should tell you. Well, that's the same Jared Goff I remember scouting at Cal, where they were an awful program, and he got the snot beat out of him early in his career, and was tough enough to like emerge and and help that team get better to the point that he became. A number one draft pick that didn't go away it was just that jeff fisher you know todd Gurley said jeff fisher's offense was a high school offense and then fisher got fired and mcveigh came in and like a lot of young managers and he's a young manager that's exactly what he was smart whiz kid you know all the credit in the world but he thought he had to be the savior because he thought he was cleaning house and redoing everything. He probably looked at Goff and said, you're going to do exactly what I need you to do and probably looked at it in a way too of like, I'm not going to discover what you can or can't do. I'm going to pull you up and pull you along with me. And so when Jared Goff faces a Brian Flores blitz scheme in Miami and freezes up and looks awful and everybody says that he can't handle the blitz, you're that's because when you spend three years being told exactly what to do you're not going to have answers if your coach doesn't have answers and your coach didn't have answers when he went to the super bowl and arrogantly said i can still play the same checker scheme that i've been playing that the the lions foiled in week 14 that the bears foiled the week after that that the eagles foiled the week after that and made us look stupid and you think bill belichick's not going to see that the one thing that he's the greatest in the world at maybe is putting together game plans and adjustments. And for Sean McVay to come in there and say, we're just going to do the same thing we've done, even though it's shown it hasn't worked repeatedly was arrogant and stubborn. They got killed. He blamed Jared Goff. He blamed Jared Goff. Yeah. It's great that he got Matthew Stafford, you know, who was who Matthew Stafford though is the type of player who has the respect in the league, the experience, the cred, the the athletic ability that when Sean McVay says I want to do this, Matthew Stafford has the tenure to go, Coach, I disagree, or probably even Coach, that's a fucking dumb idea. Um, I'm not doing that. You no, or just change the play, like just like not listen to McVay. Jared Goff hadn't earned that. You know, there's no chance that he, and if he did do that and it didn't work, he would have been banished to the bench. This isn't like Jim McMahon back from like 40 years ago. You, you know, You that's not going to happen. So, you know, when I look at this situation, we have to understand that it is about fit. So understand that some of these guys, Mac Jones is going to wind up somewhere else and probably have, Some good seasons, you know, Um, Brock Purdy. I think he'll continue to be strong, but we can't. We need to understand that you've got to develop these guys differently than what we than the way we are. And sometimes it's due to a narcissistic approach to head coaches or offensive systems or narcissistic approach of owners. As uh, Frank Reich is discovering, um, you know, that want to, you know, be in the room on everything and play billionaire fantasy football and overturn decisions at the last minute, even though they've asked pe- paid people millions of dollars to put in together a process. And then in late March, go, Yeah, but the guy in the steam room next to me was telling me what Colin Cowherd had to say about this prospect. So, and I'm, and I know that sounds far fetched, but I've talked to people who've been in those rooms. I've talked to people who have had scouting jobs, and it's the most frustrating thing about football. So when you see a team make that left turn, and, and you hear your fellow fans say, "Scouts, just tell them not so fast," because um, the scouts are just—they're like in your corporation who, who, who put together a plan that they're asked to do, and then the and then the president comes in, or the president's son, or whoever comes in off of some European trip and says, This is what we're gonna do. And you're just like, Are are you're shitting me? And then they have to go to the media and say, Well, you know, I don't like those meetings, but, you know, I I want to be the best coach I can be, and it's gonna make me a better coach, you know, long term. As Frank Reich said. So there we are. That's my long-winded rant on this subject.
2: The only thing I, I the only thing I like, I mean, I've, I've, I've been a long time. Keith Tabor was the name that I was looking for early on at the cornerback who they ended up putting at dime linebacker because they couldn't put him uh, anywhere else. But my perception of Jared Goff changed last year. But then there was an interview. Actually, I don't know if it was an interview or just one of these video vignette clips that they put together and they showed Jared Goff being interviewed by the media in preparation for the Packers game and he said so confidently and so calmly he said I know every check I know every pressure I know every protection there's like nothing that you can throw at me and you know I come from Joey Harrington Detroit Lions you know there is just the calm in which, with which he said that, I said, oh, 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 we're, we're good. We're going to be fine. Imagine how and
0: sick of hearing that from media that he must be because
2: they made him out to be adult. And he is absolutely not. Um, I, I, I honestly thought that he would be a one-year quarterback with the Lions before giving way to a draft pick. And I now think that he's going to be here for five, six years because, I mean, he does know what to do. Like third and eight and third and nine isn't insurmountable for the Detroit Lions anymore. I mean, uh, I love what it is that they're – I love how balanced the team is. I, I just love – I know people are complaining about uh, Jameer Gibbs and his usage. I don't have a problem with his usage. I think that he will grow into a role. I love what Ben Johnson is is doing, but even on the other side of the ball, what uh, Aaron Glenn is doing, um, I, I've never had this much confidence in the Detroit Lions team, and I've been watching them for a very, very long time. Yeah,
0: I think he got... I honestly think what happened to him was character assassination, um, and I would love nothing more, as much of a Matthew Stafford fan as I am, I would love nothing more than to see... Um, the Detroit Lions, at some point in the next three to four years, defeat the LA Rams in the NFC Championship game to get to their first Super Bowl ever, and to do it with Jared Goff making key plays against the Rams with Sean McVay to do it, because I think that would be that would be kind of like a karmic justice, you know. I think for a player who who just was. N- I mean it was him Carson Wentz at that time. And and Jared Goff was the better prospect than Carson Wentz. And he's proven he's the better prospect than Carson Wentz. And I would argue he's proven that he's the better prospect than Dak Prescott even though Prescott was better than what most people thought. Um and and I hope that you know Dak Prescott can be on an offense that suits him so that he can continue to um to thrive in his career. But I'll say this this is been a fun conversation. We're nearing an hour and a half. We, you know, I appreciate that Felix and Kyrie and I have, you know, get the chance to have some in-depth conversations with you here on the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. Um, you know, and you know, I appreciate the fact that you know you should check out Kyrie's um, column, Toe on the Line, and the the fantastic work that he's doing at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Um, You can follow him on Twitter or X at Riri underscore Demos, D-E-M-O-S. You can find Felix Sharp at Sharp Review. Of course, you know where to find me. And uh, we appreciate you, and we will see you in a couple of weeks.